Okay. You're making cinnamon swirl holla right now? Yeah. This is the sacrificial holla that I haven't sacrificed yet. All right. Okay. I don't know. Do you know about taking holla? Uh, I know about taking it in my mouth. So when you make holla, you have to take a portion of it, a specific fraction of the dough, and then you sacrifice it. It's sort. Of, it's not like a real temple sacrifice. It's more like in memory of the previous bread sacrifices that one might have offered in a time when there was a temple. So a lot of people sort of like burn it up in their stove or they like wrap it in foil and burn it on a burner. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. Wrapping in foil, putting on a burner, it's kind of cool because of the fire, but sometimes I like to just throw it outside and let the animals have it, and that's my sacrifice. I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but here it is. I think we need more fire, uh, more like burning, I would say, in Judaism. <laughs> I think we need to bring some of that back. Yeah, I mean, it's really fallen out of fashion. <laughs> Uh, which is very funny for us to be saying the holiday after we like light a bunch of fires ritualistically. I know, but like they're candles, you know, they're candles. Oh, mm -hmm. candle is the gayest form of fire is a candle. Exactly. And therefore the best. Well, that's true. I, I see your point. I see your point. It'd be nice to have some like big bonfires though. I'm sure there's a Jewish holiday out there. I'm not aware of that involves a bonfire. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the, there's the one that's Talmudic based, right? The about the story about the guy who who left the cave. Yeah, Lagba Omer. Yeah, Lagba Omer. That's a bonfire there situation. You, there you go. There you go. Anyway, Michael. Yes. Hi. How are you? Oh my God. I'm actually listeners and Hava feeling kind of positive today. Oh, Baruch Hashem. We recorded our patron episode yesterday, and Michael was feeling very glum. So. I'm very pleased to hear that they're feeling better. Against my better judgment, but you would think this is okay. I, I made a Lex ad. I made an ad uh, on Lex. Yeah, I would think that's okay. I do, in fact. I think this is very appropriate for what we're going to talk about later. You're very welcoming. You're a self-determinist when it comes to many things, including whether or not one calls themselves trans or queer. It's true. Mm -hmm. I come off pretty dude-like, so I was a little nervous being on Lex. Yeah, I mean, I think you may overestimate... <laughs> How dude-like you come off, but uh, I hear you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm the most duty person that I know, besides my brother who was like full-on dude. I think is a function of your circle. I wanted to read my ad that I wrote. Yeah, please do. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Vominos, read Hold the on. I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for Oy it. Vey. I don't know how to use this application, darling. Okay. Okay. It's a poem. Of course. How could it not be? The poem is Searching for a Deer. AMAB Queer. Hair down to here. HRT Bagels. Schmear. Cider, not beer. <laughs> I have multiple lovers with room to explore. Searching for a deer. That is, I have to say, a classic Lex ad. I'm trying to serve it. I support you. Thank I you. I support your service. Thank you for your service. Oh, you know, just contributing my little little bit of creativity to the continual process of decline of mankind. So I love that. Yeah. I love that for us. How are you, Hava? Oh, Baruch Hashem. It is the start of sort of a vacation time for me where I'm not going to be teaching any classes. Just basically this podcast is the only work thing I'm going to do. So I'm pretty into that. I brought this challah with me as a stress ball. It's very effective. I'm stressed out about my challah because making filled challah is hard and I'm afraid it's not going to be up to my aesthetic standards, which will be fine. Yeah. What else is going on in my life? Really excited for Shabbat. Really excited for Shabbat tonight. And 
for my vacation. I've been playing this game, Dark Souls. Some of our listeners may be familiar. It's like a super hard sort of action fantasy video game. Been dumping a lot of hours into that. That's been, I don't want to say rewarding because it hasn't, but it's been something that I've been doing. Now that I've bit the video, I've been bitten by the video game bug, I'm considering getting myself a, what was it? Isomorphic? Isometric? Isomorphic. Uh, isometric. Uh, you tricked me. Isometric RPG. <laughs> An yeah. isometric RPG. Which one? Which one are you thinking about? Well, everyone's talking about Hades. And by everyone, I mean my brother and the first website I landed on. Interesting. I don't. I guess you might like Hades. I find Hades to be a little bit hectic. Okay. Well, It's good. It's a really good game. But for me, I like a little more finesse and i find hades to be a little bit too fast-paced to allow for that well listeners if you have any isometric rpg recommendations or point and click adventure games but you like diablo which is very messy so i know but diablo is a little bit mm, it's kind of like cocaine cringe a little bit it's a little cringe it's a little (laughs) bit like mm, i don't know I think we have a lot to say on our topic today. We should probably... Oh, so much. So much. Let's jump into it. Okay, dear listeners, thank you for being with us throughout our Rebbe Mayer trilogy, but now we are moving on to a listener question episode. Listener question time. So this question came from one of our patrons. You know who you are. Thank you so much for your question. And now I'm going to read some of the question because it it came in the form of a Patreon message. So there's no audio to play. Here's our question. Do you have advice for people considering conversion, especially around what point it's appropriate to start incorporating things like prayer, studying texts, and keeping Shabbat? I know I can follow many of the principles of doing good for the world without actually converting, but I'm also very attached to the sense of ritual and structured calendar, and I adore the focus on studying with others as a way of learning. Converting sounds like a lot of bureaucracy and coming out to people, which sounds generally terrible, and I don't think that's something I'm ready for. So what can I do in the meantime, while I make sure this is something I'm sure about, and not just my impulsive brain wanting to be like all the cool kids? There is some more to this question, but I think that gets us where we need to go. I mean, I know where you're going to go with this, Hava. I can, I can... Well, tell me. Tell me where I'm going to go. You're like, there are no gatekeepers. <laughs> if you're doing it, you're doing it. And if you choose not to do it later, it's okay. Basically, everything that you told me about potentially transitioning and being like, I don't know. Well, I think you're going to be surprised by how oh, shit. moderate I am compared to my usual self. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm its interest now. <laughs> okay. Hey, centrist Hava, why don't you tell us what you really think? Before we get into all of the text study, because I do I do want to talk about some texts related to this topic. One thing I just wanted to say is that, you know, Shabbat in particular is the, I think, the center of the question on this, because it is traditionally considered forbidden for someone who's not Jewish to observe Shabbat in a Jewish way. So that, I think, is the most hot-button issue. The first thing I want to say is there's lots of things you can do that are not Shabbat. I think prayer and text study are both things that me and also people who are way less sort of rad queer than me, just the sort of like normie Judaism is pretty into the idea of letting people participate in prayer and text study as a part of exploring conversion. Those two things, I would say, are like, even within normative streams of Judaism, very open for people to sort of experiment with and dip their toes into. So I would say play ball in terms of that. And I would also say that what is possible in conversion really does depend on the community that you are converting 
in or exploring converting in. So whatever you are able to do is in a lot of ways going to be determined by communal norms wherever you're exploring, which I know you mentioned in your question is sort of part of the issue is that converting where you are might be a little bit challenging. I don't know if I mentioned that part of the question or not, but one option I wanted to offer is there's this really cool site of pretty good repute called Darshan Yeshiva. That's D-A-R-S-H-A-N yeshiva.org, which is a yeshiva sort of Jewish study academy that supports people in converting to Judaism online. And I've heard pretty positive things about that community from people who have explored it. So just know that there are digital options for sort of connecting with Jewish community around this process. So that's what I have to say about all the stuff that's not Shabbat, which I feel will be sort of the crux of this discussion. The ability to observe Shabbat as someone in the process of conversion, I think, is sort of the most hot button issue. Michael, do you have anything to say after that wall of text? No, uh, I mean, yes, but whoa, I didn't I didn't know Shabbat was the was the hot button issue. I would assume that like wearing yarmulkes and mezuzahs, the material stuff, adorning sure. yourself in the material stuff that would induce perhaps more cringy reactions from certain types of folks. I think that is an issue that is up and people are talking about. But I mean, people put on yarmulkes, for instance, if you've been to a Jewish wedding and you're not Jewish, oftentimes people will just give you a yarmulke to put on. Or if you went to synagogue with a friend, you know, it's so it's very common to hand out sort of temporary Jewish gear in situations where it's required. There's just sort of a culture of permissiveness around that. Whereas Shabbat, in terms of the tradition, in terms of the text, is the thing that's sort of more staunchly guarded by conservativists within the religion. Stepping away from the specifics, this can be generalized to how do I gracefully explore and join any community? I think the same general tendencies apply here. You know, my experience getting into contradancing in California when I lived out there. You kind of read the room, make friends with a couple people, ask them questions, kind of see what the standard participation models are and engage mm-hmm. with them. Be aware that some people are not going to like you because of their own psychological issues, and some people are going to like you a little too much because of their own psychological <laughs> issues. Like when I became a contra dancer, there were like some tasty older women who were like yes fresh meat you know what i mean (laughs) or there were people who were like oh young person i'm so into this like oh my god i wish my grandkid was into it the way you were i'm gonna adopt you into my family so people are gonna be like that they're gonna like Mm -hmm. gravitate towards you you might be shocked with how overly excited the people around you are gonna be and then there's going to be people who are threatened by you for various reasons. You know, like you're filling a certain social role that they used to fill. Maybe you're the class clown in a group or a leader in a group and they're going to be threatened and they might take it out on you or imply things about how you're not doing something right. But really, it's about some other issue. So you're going to experience the general range, the, the wonderful range of human social interaction, no matter what community you join, treating it like... It's just like any group of people who are collectively trying to do something with each other. And uh, and the specifics of the Judaism might just work itself out based on uh, what the community standards are. I think that's a good take. I do have a little historical etymological analysis. Let's do Michael's etymology corner. Okay, okay. Let's talk about converting to Judaism. Judaism comes from the Greek word 
Judaismo, which appears in the Septuagint, in the Greek version of the Torah, that was translated in 100 B, maybe 300 BC. They were translated in the mid third century BC. So, Judaismo, ismo is a suffix you add to a verb in order to make it into a kind of an abstract noun. And so the verb is really Jewing, to do the things that Jews do. Judaism, maybe a better translation would be the activity of Jewing, the activity <laughs> of Jewing. So like there is right. no real ism, you know, in the way that we mm -hmm. think of Judaism or any type of ism can feel like, oh, this massive thing. Like all there is is doing the things that Jews do. Right. So converting to Judaism is kind of like a weird, like a new modern idea that if you were to look at the etymology and how these words were used originally, might not make a lot of sense. Well, I burst my lips at you because conversion is a quite an old idea, right? The idea of being outside the Jewish people and becoming a part of it is actually there from the very beginning. You're talking about like Ruth and stuff like that. I'm talking about Tanakh. I'm talking about even before Ruth. Well, I would say this. In general, symbolic actions and ritual follow people actually doing. It's not like you create the ritual mm -hmm. and then people do it. It's people are doing it and then you mythologize it. So I would say if you go back real far, people were just becoming Jews mm -hmm. left and right. And then later yes. you have this idea of like, what does it mean to convert? And then when you later have Talmudic sages come and talk about the specific details, that's again, like a thousand years after the fact that this stuff is actually happening. So I'm not saying this is a justification to like throw conversion out the window, but it is kind of interesting for me to think about like, oh, wow, conversion as we see it. What I'm taking away from what you're saying is that conversion originally was a, probably a much more informal process. Yes. And we formalized it further over the years. So we've actually, we've made it, and I, I do think this is true, the Jews have made it harder and harder over time to become Jewish. And another thing like I wanted to take away is that converting to Judaism is like a little bit of a misconception because there is no Judaism, really. There's just things that Jews do. Mm -hmm. So do the things that are like socially appropriate and that you feel comfortable doing. And the more you do them, the more you are in a certain sense, quote unquote, converting. Right. I mean, I'm fond of that model of Judaism. I think it's Daniel Boyerin who originally said Judaism is a Christian construct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm basically stealing this secondhand from Daniel Boyarn. Yeah, I mean, I'm really friendly to that explanation. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think spiritually conversion is much more about transformation of the self rather than being about sort of entry into the construct of Judaism. It's more about becoming a Jew. Becoming a Jew to me feels more appropriate than converting to Judaism, like linguistically speaking. I think it's hard in general for us to like not think of categories of existence with boundaries, not think of like, oh, this person is an X state and this person is in Y state. This person's a master. This person's like a purple belt. This person mm -hmm. is a rabbi and this person is not. And to think of these categories as actually processes can be very helpful. Anyway, do you want to talk about Shabbat? Yeah, I want to talk about Shabbat. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty of specifically converting to Judaism and how it's related to Shabbat. Exactly. So what we're talking about is an issue that's come up for hundreds of years. In Talmud, the rabbis talk about how it's forbidden for someone who's not Jewish to observe Shabbat, which we'll talk about that a little bit more. It's flaws, it's all of that. But the rabbis 
talk about that in Talmud. I think it's in Masechet Sanhedrin. So for, you know, hundreds of years, people have been becoming Jewish and wanting to observe Shabbat. And so for hundreds of years, different halachic authorities have had to sort of grapple with this difficulty because there's in general a value of wanting to draw people closer. People who are earnestly seeking to join Judaism there's sort of a value that we want to encourage them and draw them closer, not to make it too difficult for them. There is definitely some tension. I think there's some ways in which the conversion process is designed to be difficult. But in general, it is considered a sort of beneficial thing to draw someone under the wings, so to speak. I want to talk about a little bit of a story that's relevant, something that happened in those hundreds of years. So in 1848 in Morocco, there was someone who was converting to Judaism and they had been circumcised as part of their conversion. But because the incision was taking a while to heal, they hadn't been able to go to the mikvah yet, which would have been the finalizing ritual of their circumcision. They were laying in their house on Shabbat, sort of cold and feeling sick. And the people of the community went to the rabbi to be like, what do we do about this? Because this person won't let a Gentile light a fire in their house because they don't want to break Shabbat. So they need to be warmed up because they're getting sick from having a healing incision and being really fucking cold. But they're not willing to break Shabbat, even though their conversion isn't technically finalized. So what do we do? Interesting. Okay. All right. So they bring this quandary to the rabbi who's the acting halachic authority in the area at that time, the rabbi tells this convert in progress to break Shabbat, to light the fire. It's really upsetting for the convert. It's like viscerally emotionally upsetting because the convert before this point has sort of been working on observing Shabbat restrictions, which is that's just an interesting aside. I didn't even notice before this point that the convert had clearly been doing some kind of Shabbat practice before this moment. So interesting historical precedent. The convert's very upset, but they break Shabbat and they light the fire. Ultimately, this issue becomes the hot debate of 1848. And rabbis from all over the world send letters back and forth with all kinds of different opinions about who was wrong and who was right. The community in that city was also upset. It was just a really hot button time. So part of the reason I share that is because I wanted to bring in the idea that we've been thinking about this for a long time and people have been taking all kinds of different approaches. Arab Schwartz wrote a letter going against this decision to force the person to break Shabbat. And I want to talk about some of the reasoning that he uses. Rav Joseph Schwartz quotes from the Midrash. There's a Midrash where they're talking about this issue of a person who's not Jewish being forbidden from observing Shabbat. In the Midrash, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Chia are talking to each other, sort of debating back and forth why this is forbidden. Rabbi Chia says, it's like this. If a king and a courtesan were speaking to each other and someone came and interrupted that conversation, wouldn't that be a great error? <laughs> wouldn't that be also forbidden? Yeah, that's the definition of cock blocking right there. <laughs> Rabhia is making the point that because Shabbat is both a covenant and a love ritual between Hashem and the people of Israel, a person who interposes themselves in that relationship is sort of performing a similar block. But the important thing here is that in this midrash, in this ancient midrash, they say specifically 
a Gentile who comes and interposes themselves prior to accepting circumcision upon themselves is liable. That phrasing, prior to accepting circumcision on themselves, is what Rav Schwartz uses to say, essentially, if you have sincerely accepted the commandment upon yourself, if you've sincerely accepted the mitzvot, if you've sincerely determined for yourself that you're going to convert, you are now in the category of person that it is okay to do Shabbat. Oh, interesting. Once you have sort of accepted the yoke of heaven, as the phrase goes, then you are no longer coming in between. You are actually part of the relevant parties in this spiritual relationship. Interesting. So that sort of implies that the actual mikvah or like the wherever you want to draw the line of the moment of conver- conversion is not the transubstantiation that we think of mm-hmm. it as. It's actually just, exactly. you know, a ceremonial like marking of a time for people because people like time demarcators. But right. actually, the moment of conversion happens when you sincerely start doing the things that Jews do. I wouldn't say that Rob Schwartz was saying conversion occurs at that moment. I think he was just saying it frees you up to participate in this spiritual relationship. I don't think that Rob Schwartz was making the case that you become a Jew the moment you accept it, although, as you know, I'm willing to make that case. <laughs> right. I think he was saying, basically, there's some gray area. You know, it's not Jew, Gentile, this is what you're allowed. This is what you're not allowed. He was saying, like, there's some there's some wiggle room here given to us by our ancient texts. I love it. I love it. So we have a halakhic opinion that acknowledges the gray area. We have a etymological analysis that acknowledges the gray mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And there's one more thing I want to bring. Let's do it. So this is the verse that the rabbis interpret to mean that non-Jewish people should not observe Shabbat. And... I think it's a little bit of a weak case, far be it for me to criticize the sages of ancient memory, but I want everyone to be able to see for themselves. So the verse comes from Genesis 8.22. The way it goes in ye old English, I'm not going to do the Hebrew for the sake of time. So long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, they shall not cease. You may think to yourself, Reb Chava, how is this in any way relevant to whether a Gentile can observe Shabbat or not. It seems to be talking about how the cycle of day and night shall never cease, you know, throughout all time. Yeah. How the rabbis choose to interpret this is that the they shall not cease, the they in that question is referring to non-Jews. And it is basically saying they shall not rest themselves. The verb used here is actually lo yishbotu, not they shall rest themselves. That verb yishbotu is containing the same root as the word Shabbat, which I think is why the rabbis are making that case, right? It's sort of saying they shall not Shabbat themselves. Wait, wait, wait. wait. How'd they figure that they was the Gentiles? Um, That's just a, a creation of the rabbis. Total. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. In my opinion, it's like free improv. I, I don't know. You could make a case. The previous verse in Torah refers to every living being. So I guess you could make a case that the subject is being carried there. But there's new subjects in the sentence, right? Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, yada, yada, yada. 
to me, it's, it feels like a weak case. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, several rabbis in this 1848 argument made the case that if we're going by that verse, right, they shouldn't have a day of rest anytime, ever. Whether they rest on Shabbat or rest on Monday is irrelevant. Interesting. That obviously is a problem. <laughs> with that argument. Yeah, that's not nice. Yeah, so I just wanted to give everyone sort of the biblical source and the Talmudic argument that that was used to come up with this prohibition originally. To conclude all of that, I just want to offer one practical suggestion. If you are not feeling comfortable observing Shabbat fully while you're deciding whether to convert or you're in the process of conversion, something I want to offer as a practical suggestion is that you could choose to intentionally not completely observe Shabbat in some ways. So let's say you could abstain from everything except maybe you turn on one light switch in the morning. You do it just a little bit different. And in a way, I don't know, when you finally get to not do that one thing (laughs) when you're done with conversion, like, I imagine that could make Shabbat all the sweeter now that you're finally getting to experience the full effect. But there's all kinds of things you could do to partially observe it. You could just light candles. You could just make challah. You could just wear your nicest clothes. You know, just like there's some gray area between, like Rav Schwartz was saying, accepting the yoke of the commandments and being done with conversion. I think there's also a gray area between observing Shabbat and not observing Shabbat. It's not necessarily a binary of yes, observe, no, didn't observe. There's a whole spectrum of ritual options that you can experiment with while still being within what I consider to be the bounds of Jewish law. Wow. Okay, cool. I do want to say, disclaimer, I don't really believe in halachic rulings per se, but this is a sort of a common practice, and I wanted to say that I am not a halachic authority. Do not take what I say as the last word on the law. Consult with your community. Consult with a rabbi available to you. Don't let yourself depend only upon me. Yeah, we're, we're just stupid podcasters, guys. We're just stupid podcasters. Yeah, defer to the community that, uh, you know, you're associating yourself with. Yes, as always, communal norm is a very strong force in Judaism. Yes, yes. We love those communal norms, and then we love breaking them sometimes. It's true. It's true. All right. I think we ought to wrap it up. I think we should wrap it. Listeners, thank you so much for going with us on this journey. If we said anything you disagree with or anything you think was super awesome, let us know. I know this is a sensitive subject, and I wanted to come to it with care and compassion. So if I failed in that quest, please let me know. Give us a call or a text on the Talmud hotline at 401-484-1619 or drop a question anonymously at chaihowareyou.com. And finally, please, please, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Chava de Cordova. When you see this tweet or Facebook post or Instagram post, give it a share. Give it a like. Every little bit that you do helps us to continue to deliver that sweet, hot, gay, Talmudic loving that you crave. Yeah, it's, it's very sweet. All right, babes. Very, very sweet. Shavuot Tov. Talk to you later. Shavuot Tov. Bye. Bye.